Amen. If you would, um, please turn with me to Romans chapter 5. You would stand for the reading of God's word. The word of the Lord reads, we will read verses 1 through 5. And it reads, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. May the Lord have a blessing upon the hearers of his word. Amen? Amen. When I was younger, I really didn't understand the importance of good credit. You know, I've heard heard people telling me how important it is, but I really... It was difficult for me when I was younger to understand the importance of good financial credit. But you quickly find out how important good credit is when you're sitting across from the loan officer and they deny that credit application, right? Or when you apply for a credit card and you get that letter in the mail that says we're unable to process your application at this time. I've been there. It's then that you start thinking, man, I should have paid more attention to, to what, I was, what was on my credit report. I should have paid more attention to, to paying my bills and being concerned about those things. It's not until you need credit that you start to think about the benefits of good credit. Sadly, many of us are more concerned about the benefits of our financial credit than the benefits of our spiritual credit that reflects our standing before God. If you think about it, one of the reasons credit loans are denied is because of the inability for us to either pay our debt or just because we have too much debt. Ironically, I think there's a parallel there in regards to our relationship with God. Just as we all at some point will find ourselves, or just as we have all found ourselves at some point in front of a loan officer, looking to get that answer back as to whether we're going to get credit or not, it is inevitable that each and every person here will stand before a holy God and stand before a holy God who will decide where you spend eternity based on whether your sin debt is paid or unpaid. That is the deciding factor. There is no, your credit score is within this range and you're you're good. It is either your sin debt is paid or it's unpaid. And unlike our financial debt that is on our credit report, we can't get rid of our sin debt through our own efforts, right? We can work and work and work to improve our financial credit, but there is no amount of work you can do to improve 
your sin debt. We can give every single dime we earn to to a worthy charity. Uh, We can have a clean criminal report. We can even spend all of our time serving at a homeless shelter, and it will not remove our sin debt. All of our sins, our sinful thoughts, our sinful deeds, just think about all the things that you have done. The things that you think about throughout the day, the things that you might be thinking about at this very moment. Every little word we have uttered against someone, every single lustful thought we've had, every act that was done for our own glory rather than God's glory stands against us. Nothing is missed by the eyes of God. There is only one way to remove our sin debt, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith plus our good works, but simply faith in Jesus Christ. The the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God in the name of the person of his son, Jesus Christ, gives eternal life. And the blood of Jesus washes away all of our sins, past, present, and future. That's why we serve an awesome God. That is the gospel. That is the good news. In addition to our sins being washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, something else remarkable happens when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ. Not only does God remove our sins as far as the east is from the west, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to our account. Not only does God give us a, God doesn't just give us a blank slate and clear our sins away, but he credits the righteousness, the goodness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account and declares that we are righteous. That is some good news. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is the good credit that I want to speak to you about today. I want to speak to you about the benefits of good credit. In fact, God's credit is not just good, it's perfect. It doesn't get any perfect than that. You can't get into heaven on just good credit. It's got to be perfect credit. It doesn't matter what you've done or how many times you've done it. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous by God and are declared not guilty. Think about the worst criminal you can think of. Standing before a courtroom judge. He has only one option, which is to convict that criminal of his sin or of his of his criminal act. And the same was with us. We stood before a holy God, before God, who is going to judge everyone. And because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sins, his righteousness was credited to us. The gift of righteousness is given to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Do you ever take time to just think about that and thank God for declaring you righteous? That is good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us that he who knew no sin became sin so that that we would become the righteousness of God. That means something. In this passage we just read, 
Paul reminds us of the benefits or the blessings of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is reminding us of the benefits and the blessings of those who have good credit. This should remind us that regardless of what we're going through in our lives, regardless of what issues or trials or situations you find yourself in at this moment, you can always declare that you are blessed because of these benefits that we're going to look at, because of these blessings. Because the blessings or the benefits that we're going to look at today, these are blessings that are eternal. These are blessings that can't, no one has given them so they can't take it away. These are, I know we're blessed because we have cars. We're blessed because we have homes. We're blessed because we may have good health, but those things will soon fade away at some point. What we want are greater blessings, greater benefits, and we see that that is made available to each and every person who is declared righteous by God because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, we have Paul is, is talking to the church in Rome, and he is, we see in the first four chapters, Paul is doing a couple of things. One, he is, he is speaking about the sinful nature of man and how, how depraved our hearts are even though God has revealed himself to us, that we would know that there is a God. And that everyone has turned away from God. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. So no one is without guilt before God. But then Paul goes in and and he goes further into chapters 3 and 4, and he, he helps us to see that There is a righteousness from God that has been revealed. And that righteousness is in the name of in the in the in the in the in the name of his son Jesus Christ for those who put their faith in him. And he is making the argument that you cannot be righteous apart from your faith in Jesus Christ. No amount of works will do it, no amount of good deeds will do it. And so we see Paul leads up to this, and he leads us to chapter 5, where we found this jewel of a text where he reveals to us the benefits and the blessings of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see in verse 1, he starts out and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anytime we see the therefore, we should ask ourselves, what is the therefore, therefore? And we see, and it it should force us to go back and to see why is he making this conclusion that we're at now. And if we look back, we would go back to what I just discussed in which Paul is making the, the, the true statement that no one is justified or declared righteous apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And that word justified is a word that Every Christian should, be, should become familiar with if you're not. Because that is just so much hope. And that is our salvation. The moment you put your faith in Christ, your sin is credited to Jesus Christ and his righteousness is credited to you and me. And because of that, we see these benefits that Paul is going to lay before us. And that is the reason why he says, Now, therefore, because you are justified by faith, 
This is the result. This is, these are the benefits. Because you, you, you do uh, look, or because you have been declared righteous, and because God looks at you differently than he did before your faith in Jesus Christ, because of that, he starts out and he says, the first thing that you see is that you have peace with God. Peace with God. He goes on, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the one thing I think it's, it's important for us to clarify is the definition of faith, what faith is and what faith is not. Because that is what everything hinges on, you being justified and declared righteous. Faith is not merely agreement alone that Jesus is Lord. God's word says that even the demons believe that. It's not just merely agreement. Faith doesn't stop with agreement, but it continues with trusting Jesus with all of your life, just as you are trusting in those chairs to hold you up that you're sitting in right now. No one's sitting down thinking, I don't know if this chair is going to hold me right now. But trusting in Jesus is the same where we put all of our weight on God and allow him to support us. It's to trust him with our life. It's to trust him with our finances. It's to trust him with our relationships. It's to trust him in every aspect of our lives. I like how W.E. Vine explains faith. He says faith consists of three elements. He says faith consists of conviction, surrender, and conduct. Conviction, he says, is a firm conviction producing a full acknowledgement of God's truth. So one Faith should consist of a a conviction that God is who he says he is, that Jesus Christ is the son of God and the conviction of who he says that we are as well as sinners. But it also involves a personal surrender to him. See, a lot of people have the conviction, but they're not willing to surrender to God. They're not willing to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. That's not faith. In the Hebrew context, faith was meant to trust. We also see a conduct, not conduct to be saved, but a conduct that comes about from being saved. A conduct that is inspired by us surrendering all to God. So I like that definition of those elements, conviction, surrender, and conduct. And we, as we see this, we see this faith that brings about us being declared righteous by God and Paul says that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. (laughs) Now, it's it's hard to say amen if you don't know what life was like before God. If you don't recognize that first, apart from Christ, you were an enemy of God. We go from an enemy of God to having peace with God. We We go from being objects of God's wrath to objects of God's mercy. If you are in Christ, you can rest from worrying if you are in God, if you have God's favor. You can rest. God's favor is on all those who are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to work for it. You don't have to worry about whether God accepts you or not because of what you are doing, but you know that he accepts you because of your faith and your trust and because you've surrendered your all to Jesus Christ. That is what you can rest in. And that should give us peace. Peace of mind, but also it gives us peace with God. 
This reminds us that peace and favor with God doesn't come from serving in a ministry. Peace with God doesn't come from coming to church each and every Sunday. Peace with God doesn't come from giving your tithes and their offerings. Now, I'm not saying that these things should not be prevalent in the life of a Christian because they should come from us being in Christ. But that is not what is going to get us peace with God. Those would be considered works as well. Though they are beneficial, we should we should strive for those those things. Uh, we, We need to make sure that we don't see those things as being the means by which we have peace with God. Although being saved should lead us to do these things. We know that God gives us peace because we have been declared righteous by God. Having peace with God begins with us surrendering everything to him. We surrender our lives to him. And instead of our of us going to live our lives for our own purpose, we now begin to live our lives for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Galatians 2.20, I like what it says. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Trusting in Jesus is like us waving a white flag. I give up. I surrender. I'm tired of running from you. I'm tired of doing things the way I want to do them. It's giving up and saying, Lord, I give my all to you. If you're wondering if you have peace with God, if you're doubting if you have peace with God, if there's some question whether you have peace with God, it it may be because you're looking at your situation rather than your Savior. Sometimes that's where we miss the mark. One of the reasons we may fail, fail, fail to, 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 to see God, us having peace with God is because we, we feel like God is more at war with us than, than, than peace is because our lives are anything but peaceful. We say, if I have peace with God, then why, is my, why does everything seem to be falling, around, falling apart around me? Why do I have so many issues? Why am I struggling so much? Because we're looking at our situation and not our Savior. If you have put your faith in Christ, God is not punishing you. Punishment is payment for wrongdoing. Jesus Christ already paid for that punishment on the cross. And so you're not paying for your sins or your wrongdoings. If Jesus, if you're being punished, Jesus died on the cross for nothing. Don't base your peace with God on the level of peace in your life or peace with other individuals in your life. You don't believe me? Look back at the, at the story of David. David was one who is said that he was a man after God's own heart. But David found himself running. He was on the run. He found himself living in a cave. He found himself even pretending to be half insane at a moment. David's life wasn't always all together. We see the same for many of God's people throughout the Bible. From Genesis to Revelations, we see the same thing. Their peace wasn't based upon what was going on around them in their life. Their peace was based on the fact that they had faith in God and that they trusted in him. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you have waged war against Satan the world, and your flesh. The moment you accept Christ, that's when the battle begins. 
That's when it gets tough. That's when things start to, start to, uh, 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 you start to have some friction and, and things become uh, a challenge. You no longer see sin the way that you saw sin. You, never, you no longer respond the way to things that you used to respond to things. People look at you differently and respond to you differently than they used to before. Peace with God means war with the world. If this Christian life is easy for you, then I have to question, what army are you with? Are you with God or are you with the world? Another reason we may question having peace with God is because we mistake God's discipline toward us as God being against us. Having peace with God doesn't mean we will not be disciplined by God. God's word declares that he disciplines those he loves. So God is not some negligent father who just lets us continue to go on about our way without disciplining us. And let us not think again that God's discipline is always in response to some wrongdoing that we've done. God sees us for who we are, and he knows what it takes to make us to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And God will discipline us, bring hardships and trials in our life in order to mold us and make us look more like his son, Jesus Christ. He will use that difficult co-worker who you have some issues with at times. He will use financial problems, and he'll even use health issues to discipline us, that, that we would look more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, in how we respond to these things, in who we put our faith in. He will use all these to shape our character. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, it says, He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields, check this out, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So don't look at your situation to determine whether you have peace with God. Your peace with God is based upon faith and faith alone. For all I trust in him. If you have not repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're still an enemy of God. And I pray, I pray, if you're sitting before me right now, and you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, that you would recognize that you are an enemy of God because of your sins. Isaiah 59.1 tells us that God's arms are not too short to save or his ear too dull to hear, but our iniquities have separated us from God. I pray that you would come to acknowledge your need for God and, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't mistake God's kindness for his peace. Romans 2.4 tells us that his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. His kindness toward us, his grace, his common grace and his mercy towards you. The fact that you can get up each and every day and, and breathe and the fact that you can go to work, the fact that you have food on your table, the fact that you haven't lost your mind. The fact that you're not in jail when you know you should be in jail. The fact that some things didn't happen that you know should have happened. It's just a measure of God's grace, his kindness. And that kindness is meant to lead you to repent and turn back to his son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you may know this. Surrender your life today. Surrender your life. Not only do we see the peace with God, but we go on in verse 2 and it says, through him... 
We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So not only do we have peace with God because of the good credit we have in Jesus Christ, but we also have access to God because of the fact that we have faith in Jesus Christ. The word access here is the picture of someone who has has the freedom to enter a place through the assistance of another. And that another is Jesus Christ. We have have the freedom to enter into God's throne room before his his holy presence because Jesus Christ has has enabled us to, because Jesus Christ has, has allowed us to come into his presence. Do we acknowledge or do we know the great privilege we have of being able to sit before God regardless of where we're at, what we're we're doing, or what's going on in our life, with unrestricted access to the God of all creation. The God of all creation. In the Old Covenant, there was a room called the Holy of Holies in the temple. And this is where God's glory was manifested. And once a year, only once a year, the high priest were able to enter into this room before the glory of God. But it was restricted only to the high priest. The high priest went in on behalf of the people, and he must come with a sacrifice for their sins, to atone for their sins. But praise God, we now have Jesus Christ who has become our high priest and our sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God that allows us to approach God Without restriction. Do we take advantage of that? What do we do with this access that we have? Are we interceding for the world who doesn't know God because we have access to God? When you come across a car accident, do you say, just thank God it's not me, or do you go before God and intercede and say, Lord, I ask you to be with those who are in this accident? Be with the the first aid responders, those who are, are with these people at this time. When you're at work and situations unfold, do you you take a moment to pray for, to intercede for those who don't know God because you have access to God? What do we do with the access that we have? Whatever privileges we enjoy in Christ, whatever privileges we enjoy with being able to approach the throne of God, they are all a demonstration of God's grace. God's grace, his undeserved favor, his unmerited favor toward us. We see that in verse 2, it says that through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So this grace in which we remain in as Christians, we remain and stand in God's grace. And because of his grace, we have the privilege of being in the presence of God. Grace removes an attitude of entitlement. Grace removes an attitude of of entitlement. And and in the country in which we live, we certainly have a huge problem with entitlement. Right? I think a sense of entitlement is one of the reasons so many people feel that, that there has to be more than one way to heaven. If you ask most people, how do you get to heaven? Many people say, well, 
if they're honest, some people will say, well, you can, you can go through this way or through that way, good works or whatever the case may be, but they refuse to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way. And I think that comes from a sense of entitlement. There can't be just one way to God is what they declare. Unfortunately, many professing Christians believe this as well. Ironically, many of the same people who say it is arrogant to claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to God are the same ones who believe that we must secure the borders of our country and there must be only one way in. If you want to get in, then this is the only way in to the country. It's ironic that many of us feel that way, but at the same time, some people say that, how, could you, how dare you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to approach God? If, if it were not for God's grace, we would not be citizens of God's kingdom. We have access into his kingdom, and it's only by his grace that we have access. God removes, his grace removes a spirit or a sense of entitlement that we may have. Before God, we can come before him and say, I am unworthy to come into your presence. Unworthy to come before you. That's what we see in Luke chapter 18 between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee comes before God and says, Lord, thank thank you that you didn't make me like these over here. I've I've given my tithes. I've done all these things. I've, I've done this. And then we have the, the tax collector, the one who was a sinner or knew he was a sinner, and he just, he just come before God and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. And that text reveals to us, it says that he is the one that was justified because of his faith and because he knew that he was unworthy to come into a presence of God. But it is because of his faith, it is because of our faith that we can enter into the presence of God. So not only do we have peace with God, we have access to God. We also have the benefit of having hope in God. All of these, again, come only by faith in God. These are things that the world didn't give and they can't take it away. These are the only benefits. These are the blessings that God's children receive. Because we have peace with God, we have access to him and we can rejoice we can rejoice we can rejoice because we have hope in God that's what we see in the latter part of verse 2 it says that in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God and then he goes on and says more than that we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces Hope. Everyone needs hope. Every, whether you are a believer or not, everyone needs hope. Hope gets people up each and every day when they go to bed. Hope is what people go to sleep at night thinking that tomorrow is going to be different. Hope is what people believe in when their marriage is not working out right, but they say, you know, I, I, just, I just have this hope that things are going to to be better tomorrow. Hope is what people have when their health is failing them. And they just don't know if it's going to get better, but they have that hope. They keep going to the doctor. They keep looking for healing because of that hope. Everyone needs hope. 
But the hope that God gives us as Christians, as believers, those who have put their faith in Christ, is different than the hope that we see in the world. It's not just a wishful type of hope. This is a hope. <laughs> this is a hope that has assurance. The, the Greek translation of the word hope here means confident expectation. Confident expectation. If faith had a cousin, it would be hope. Confident expectation. So it is assurance of what is to come. This is the reason for our rejoicing because we can rejoice because of the hope we have, because of the confident expectation of what is going to take place. That God, what he promised, is going to be fulfilled. That is the reason why we can rejoice. We are not to wait until we go to heaven before we start rejoicing in God. Faith doesn't have a wait and see attitude. Faith can rejoice today. Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know how we used to do back in the day? Some of you may still, be, still do it when you were hoping for something to take place. You might cross your fingers, right? I hope that she calls me. I hope that the number he gave me is real. I hope that I get out of this situation. Y'all know how we used to do. We still, as Christians, believe in the cross, but it's not the cross of our fingers. The cross we believe in is the cross of which Jesus Christ died on, that he shed his blood on. That is where our source of our hope is based on. Not just a wishful type of of, of, of something coming true, hope that the, 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 the hope that you have and the power of it depends so much on the source of that hope. If that hope is based on anything or anyone other than God, then your hope is found in something, it's, 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 it's found in the wrong place. It's found in the wrong place. I like what Paul does here. He lets us know that our hope is so certain. He says you can rejoice in, in, in what is to come. But he also says you can rejoice even now. Don't miss it. I, I love what he does here because he goes in in verse 2 and he says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does he mean by the hope of the glory of God? He's saying that we can rejoice because we know that one day we will stand in the presence of a glorious God and we will get to experience what God has declared in his word, where he declares that there is no need for the sun because his glory is the light of that city. That is what we hope in. We hope also in the fact that God says that he will exchange these old broken bodies that we have, the pain that we experience. Now, some of you who are a little bit younger, the ones who are teenagers, you can't relate to that at this point. I know I couldn't, but now that I'm getting a little bit older, I'm starting to relate to that more and more. And that hope is increasing more and more. Amen? So you, you, you see that, that hope. He says that we can rejoice not only in what is to come, but also what is also now because of the promises of God. 
We don't have to think about what God is going to do in the future to rejoice. Even though we're not what we will be, we can rejoice in the fact that we're not who we used to be. We're not what we are yet going to be, but we can rejoice in God that we're not who we used to be and that we can see God's work on us. There is evidence, and this evidence is not just a matter of fact that we're getting mature and we're getting older. It's the fact that God is working in our hearts because we know deep in our hearts we still got some, we got a lot of sin in us and we want to do some things, but we know that it is by God's grace that, retain, that, that restrains us, that holds us, that keeps us, that, that helps us to remain steadfast. It is that hope that one day we will be in the presence of a glorious God that we can continue to remain steadfast and fast in our faith. That is that type of hope that God has given us. That hope does not come in any other way, through any other way, but in Jesus, by Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ. God's word says that now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You are being transformed from one degree of glory into another. Until that final day when God calls you home. And he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done for remaining faithful. Well done for remaining hopeful in what I've declared. Well done for not giving up. Well done for not compromising your faith in those times where I know it was difficult. Well done for not giving up. Well done for not living for yourself. Well done. Well done for holding on. Well done for helping out. Well done for not going weary when, not, not going weary when you're doing good. Well done. He says, well done. That's what the hope we have in, in the glory of God. That not only will we see God's glory, but we know that we will be, the, 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 the transformation will be complete where we would be totally new, not succumbing to the pains and the issues of this life. Some of you may be saying, well, that, that's fine to rejoice in what is to come, but I, I'm suffering now. I've got issues right now. I've got some problems that I don't know how I'm going to get through these issues. Paul's got a word for us because he goes on. That's what leads him. It's almost as if Paul anticipates it. He's like, okay, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But he says even more than that. Right in verse 3 says, more than that. We rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. He says that not only do you have to wait to rejoice for what is to come, but you can rejoice even though you are going through tribulations. Even though you are suffering, he says that you can rejoice even now because you know that your suffering is not in vain. Paul draws the chain between suffering and our hope. He says that your suffering produces perseverance. It allows you to endure. It gives you strength. It allows you to maintain the path that God has set you on. He, it allows you to maintain on that narrow path rather than that wide path. He says that you are able to persevere. And he says that perseverance that you have, it leads to character. That word character is a word, it's the test of testing of character. So he says that you get tested tested by the, the trials and the tribulations. 
as if you're in the furnace, like the three Hebrew boys. He said, you're getting tested. You're in the furnace. But he says, it's making you better. Whereas you should be losing hope because you're in God. He says that your hope starts to get increased. He says, it doesn't, that's, that's ironic. I mean, that's just, it just blows my mind. You would think that God's people's hope, their hope would lessen as they suffer, but their hope increases for those whose faith are in Jesus Christ. That is why Paul and the others could maintain the course even through affliction because they knew and they believed they had a confident expectation of what was to come. It wasn't just a wish. It was like, I know this is going to take place. It just hasn't, but I know that it's going to take place. Do you have, and I know, I know faith and I know hope. If your hope is not in Jesus Christ, you will not make it. You will, you will turn away from, from God. You will compromise your faith if your hope is not in him. God's work to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ is a glorious but a painful process. And God uses the trials and the tribulations of this world to bring glory to him, to make him famous, that we would know that God's grace is sufficient. That we would not just depend on ourselves because that is what we're apt to do, to take credit for something that we didn't do. God says, I will bring you through. Rejoicing in suffering is not wearing a smile and pretending like nothing is wrong. That's not what we say when we talk about rejoicing. That means just to be fake, right? It doesn't mean that you are to enjoy suffering. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning, oh, what a great day to suffer. Man, it's sunny. It feels like a suffering day. No one feels that way. But the way we as Christians respond to trials and tribulations should be totally different than the world because of the what we have in God, the hope we have in God. So when you're going through trials and tribulations and others are looking at you, you can say, the reason I haven't fallen apart is because my hope is in God. Because I know that this suffering is going to bring about perseverance. I, because I know that this perseverance is going to, it's going to, it's testing my character, but it's going to, it's going to realize that, that my faith is genuine. And this just increases my hope in God. That's what God is looking for. Being able to rejoice in the face of tribulation is a testament to the hope that we have in God. That word tribulation comes from the Latin word tribulum. And the tribulum was a, a piece of timber that, that had spikes in it that was used for threshing grain. In other words, it was used to separate wheat from the chaff. Chaff was the, the unused portion, the, the part of the wheat that was, that was not beneficial for anything. Now, I may sound like a farmer, but I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know that this is the case. I know this is the case, and so we see tribulation also does the same for us in our lives. It, it kind of removes away those impurities, those things in our lives that we might feel are necessary. But God sees them as a hindrance to us looking more like Jesus Christ. I know we can't always see it, but that's where that hope kicks in. You're like, I just don't, I don't see it now. But I have hope in God. I have hope in Jesus Christ. 
There's a story I read about uh, the late Pastor Ray Stepman. He said that uh, he, he had run into a Christian businessman who had a cleaning woman named Sophie. And he said, uh, the, the, the businessman said to her one day, he said, Sophie, he said, why are you always so cheerful? He says, you don't have much in life, but you're always cheerful. What's your secret? And she replied, she said, well, it's the way I read my Bible. And he said, I read the Bible too, but, but I don't find myself being cheerful like you are. And, and she said, you don't read it right. She says, my Bible says glory in tribulation doesn't spell growl. That is what you do. You growl in tribulation. If you gloried in it, then you would find yourself looking at it as a challenge, as an opportunity for your Lord to display what he can do, and you'd be cheerful about it. That's why Sophie said, I, can, I may not have much in life, but I know I have everything I need because my faith is in Jesus Christ. I have more than what I need because my faith is in Jesus Christ. And so our eyes were on, what, it wasn't on our circumstance or our situation. It wasn't in the material things she had because apparently she didn't have much, but she said, look, I have everything in Christ. How are you responding to your tribulations? If you're having trouble rejoicing, go to God's word for encouragement. Go to God's word for encouragement. It will give you hope and sustain you when you're weak. Amen? Not only do we enjoy the benefits of God, of having peace with God, because we have been declared righteous, we also enjoy the benefits of access to God. We also enjoy the benefit of hope in God. Again, all of these things only possible by faith in Jesus Christ. But he doesn't leave us there. Paul says that we also have the benefit of having love from God. He says in verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame. Paul is telling us, he's saying that You won't be disappointed for your hope in God. There are sometimes, I think that there are many times that people won't mention it, but many of you may be wondering, is the sacrifices I'm making, are they really worth it? Am I going to be disappointed? I know that I'm struggling in my marriage, but I'm, I'm holding on. I'm making some sacrifices. I'm remaining faithful. But am I going to be disappointed and say that I should have done this? Somebody somebody may be struggling in other areas of their life, or whatever the case may be, and you may be reflecting back and looking back and wondering, when I die, will I be disappointed? Because things aren't quite what I thought they would be. Paul is saying, you won't be disappointed. God is saying, you won't be disappointed. Hope in him does not put us to shame. He says, you won't be disappointed. This this passage reminds us that, that, that what God has declared, it will come to pass. Why? He says, why is that the case? He says, because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 
the connection he's making there is he's saying that your hope is not going to disappoint you because God has, has poured his love into your life. He has given you his Holy, the Holy Spirit. He has shared himself with you as evidence that he is going to fulfill what he said he was going to fulfill. God's word declares that the Holy Spirit being given to us is a deposit. <laughs> it's a deposit. God's like, I'm going to deposit a gift to keep you so that you don't fall when you're suffering, so that you can be count- comforted when you're hurting. He says, I'm going to give you a counselor to counsel you and give you wisdom on how you are to, to live, how you are to walk, how you are to live this Christian thing out. He says, I'm going to give you a gift so that you will maintain the course that I've placed you on. When you get a, put a deposit on something, you're almost like, oh, it's, it's mine. I got it, right? You know how it is when you had a home or something, they're like, oh, if you're getting a loan application, if they ask for like a deposit or you putting a down payment, or you put a down payment on a car, you're like, it's mine. God's like, I gave you a deposit, a gift. We may not be able to see them, but we can feel them. We have evidence of them because you are where you are because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You have a relationship with God. You can approach his throne with full access. You have peace with God because of the working of the Holy Spirit. He starts out in the first verse and he comes back to the fifth verse and he says the Holy Spirit is responsible for all of this. Your faith in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, God gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, the third person of the Trinity, and he's with you. And God says that if I have given you this deposit, it's not going to be taken back. So the giving of the Holy Spirit is God's love and showing that he will finish what he started. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, What will he do? He will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? He says the reason you believe, the reason you have hope, the reason you have maintained, the reason you haven't given up is because of the Holy Spirit. It's not because you're so wise. It's not because you're so strong. It's because I've given you a part of me that you would maintain the course. The Holy Spirit ensures that God will finish what he started. Anyone else in your situation would have given up, maybe by now. You go look at what, you're, what you've gone through. If it wasn't for God keeping you, if it wasn't for his grace, you would have said, forget about this. Forget about it. It's not even worth it. Right? sacrifice my tithes, I remain pure for God, I get laughed at at times because of my faith and how I respond to the way the world responds. If it wasn't for his grace and the love that he's poured out into you through his Holy Spirit, you would have said, forget about it. So we can't, we can't take any credit, although he's credited us with his righteousness, we can't take credit for remaining faithful but we can just come before his throne and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the righteousness you've given me. Thank you that you have given me the Holy Spirit to sanctify me and help me to not give up. Thank you. 
for being gracious. I pray that we would come before God's throne and we would lay before him our, our sense of entitlement, knowing that we have peace with God, we have access to God, we have, we have the hope in God, we have love from God only because of our faith in Jesus, only because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's all because of what Jesus Christ did when he walked that, that dusty road. It's only because of Jesus Christ, because he, he willingly gave of himself on the cross. It's only because of what Jesus Christ did and being shamed and, and ridiculed and, and mocked. It's only because he wore a, a crown with thorns in it. It's only because he took 39 lashes on his back. It is only because he hung on the cross for six agonizing hours in the heat of the day. That is God on the cross being crucified. For you, for you and me, he didn't have to do it. God is not a God that he's in need of anything. He says that I am the I am. He doesn't need anything. But praise God that he made a way out of no way. Praise God he, he changed hopeless to hope. So I come to, I pray that if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Jesus Christ, don't leave the same way you came in. Don't leave. How should you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Because at some point, every single one of us Either Christ comes first or we die before he comes. At some point, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And our credit will stand before God. Whether we still have the credit that was credited to us or the sin that was credited to us from Adam, the one who we inherited all of our sin, or we will stand before God and he he will ask us, why should I let you in and say, because I have faith in Jesus Christ. He is my gate. He is my way. He is my life. He's the only way. He's the only reason I deserve to be. I not even deserve. He's the only reason that I, I, should, I should even think about being in your presence. If you don't recognize the depravity of, and, the, and the depth of your sin, it'll be difficult for you to recognize the gift and the benefits and the blessings that God has given in, the, in, in, in Jesus Christ. But I pray that God will open your heart and you will see um, there's no greater gift. And that, that gift only comes by faith in his son. Don't try to work for it because you can't do it. Entering into his kingdom, there's no waiting list. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. There's only one way into his kingdom to enjoy these benefits, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, how excellent is thy name. Lord, truly, we stand before you as people who are broken, Father to be made whole by you, Lord God. And so we thank you. Thank you for your grace toward us. 
Thank you, Lord, that you have received us into your presence because we have peace with you. Because, Lord God, you never refuse those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for the assurance that we have in you. I pray, Father God, even now that you would move in the heart of those who don't know you, Lord, who don't know Christ, who haven't given their life to Jesus Christ. I pray that you would touch them now, Lord. For unless you touch them, that is the only way they will respond, Lord. We thank and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.